The broad side of the barn? <laughs> yes, the broad side, Steven. <laughs> Can't watch it on the not. What's the other side of a barn? The narrow side? Is anyone, has anyone ever talked about this? <laughs> Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our Canadian punk rock bands and go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert. I am notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judges' table, letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week are two of my grooms people, two groomsmen from my wedding. It is Salvatore Testa and Stephen Para. Sal and Stephen, how's it going? Hey. Hey, pretty good, Mike. I'm excited because last season for episode nine, I had my parents going against each other. Now this season for episode nine, I've got two of my best friends going against each other. So I think I want to start the tradition of episode nines of seasons of meddling adults are just people I care about battling. (laughs) So before we get into the mysteries, let's first hear about the charities that you two are playing for. So Sal, which charity will you be playing for today? I'm playing for the San Francisco Marin Food Bank. Now, more than ever, uh, people need food and it's hard to come by. Uh, Like things are expensive, especially in San Francisco, and it's a great cause. That's awesome. That's great. Steven, how about you? I'm playing for RIP Medical Debt which is a nonprofit that's sort of national in reach. And its whole purpose is just to find medical debt that's either impossible to pay back or just ridiculously large. And they buy up the debt and they just forgive it. Um, And they do it in such a way that there's no tax burden on the people that have their debt forgiven. And they really focus on people that are like living around the poverty line or, um, or just living beyond their means or have a lot of debt to go through. So it's, it's a real great way to just uh, make a good impact on the medical community. Um, which I think is important, especially given the times we're living in right now. Yeah, that is awesome. That is great. Those are some great causes and ones that I was unfamiliar with. So learning. Hooray. (laughs) Super cool. I'm also very excited because if someone was listening or heard about this podcast happening in the future while they were a freshman at Rice University, while we were seniors, they would be freaking out because we've got a battle between (laughs) the improv comedy team and the acapella team, which (laughs) you can tell how nerdy our school was in that those two groups were some of the coolest groups on campus. Oh, yeah. Uh. So the mysteries that we're going to be covering today are from Scooby-Doo, specifically What's New Scooby-Doo, the 2002 reboot. And the reason that I said Canadian punk rock band is because, as we talked about in a previous episode of Meddling Adults, the theme song was made by Simple Plan. Now, one of the mysteries that we're doing in this episode features Simple Plan, the band, as main (laughs) characters all voicing themselves. Of course, that will be the third mystery so that people stay on for the whole episode. But let's get into the first mystery. Let's put the pedal to the metal and do our first one, which is called Farmed and Dangerous. So the opening scene we see in Farmed and Dangerous is a dog and six little puppies on a farm and they get attacked by a zombie scarecrow that has a scythe for an arm running through the cornfield. And then we cut to the gang driving in the van, having a great old time. They reveal that they are in Arizona and they're off to visit Farmer B, B as in boy, who has the secret six puppies that Fred reveals just won a bunch of money in a dog show and have bought their own farm. Don't 
ask me to explain how this works. Okay, I was gonna ask. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with the farms of Arizona. <laughs> and also like real quick for these puppies, the puppies were like just born and then immediately in a show. <laughs> it's not a lot to look at. Have you ever seen toddlers in tiaras? <laughs> bonus point for Steven no. Barrow. Hey. I didn't say it in the intro, but bonus points are at stake. The way that the game works is I recap mysteries and you get points if you correctly guess who the culprits are behind these mysteries. But there are also bonus points for anything that makes me laugh, any sort of good trash talk thrown, anything, because, you know, it's 2020, everything is bad. So <laughs> let's make a beacon of good, which is me giving out bonus points to things that somehow make me smile. So we have the gang driving along the road in the mystery machine. And of course, this zombie scarecrow farmer hybrid is now driving on the road in an evil tractor. <laughs> it's a souped up tractor with giant exhaust pipes with flames shooting out of them. <laughs> and it runs the mystery machine off the road. Whoa. I'm amazed he can operate such like a heavy piece of machinery with one hand or one scythe hand. <laughs> He's pretty skilled. So when the mystery machine finally comes to a stop, they are approached by a farmer who comes up to the passenger side window. They roll it down and Velma asks this farmer for directions to Mr. B's farm. And this guy says, oh, yeah, my name is Farmer P. I'm Mr. B's neighbor. I guess everyone in this town is just named by letters. <laughs> so he gives them directions to the farm. But before he leaves, he says, before you head out, I should warn you. And then he holds the lantern he was holding under his face to make dramatic lighting. And in a very ominous voice, he says, something horrible always happens at that farm. Always. Have a nice night. And then night echoes three times as he walks away. <laughs> so it's, have a nice night, night, night. Give me the timing real quick. When this souped up, like, Fast and Furious tractor blows them off the highway, that goes for a minute, and this guy, Farmer P, is immediately there, right? Like, he's on it. It's hard to exactly say, but the mystery machine spins out, goes into the side into like some cornfield, and then the gang kind of checks with themselves and they make sure that everybody's okay, and then they realize someone is outside the van. So it's not very clear how quickly it is because of all of the hullabaloo, but it doesn't seem to be that long afterwards. Thank God for the rolling acres of Arizona corn. <laughs> <laughs> Number one produce. Now, at this point, I was very excited because my rule of thumb here is I always guess that the first person you meet in Scooby-Doo is guilty. So the fact that this dude was creepy as hell has me very excited at this point. So Fred drives the van into a farm that has a very large sign outside that says Mr. B's Farm. And while they drive in, they cut to Fred, who turns to the gang and says, I guess this is Mr. B's Farm. <laughs> <laughs> They just have turned Fred in this reboot into the ultimate doofus, and I just love it. He's such a fun airhead, and I'm here for it. <laughs> but Fred immediately gets pounced on by the six adorable puppies. Aww. And then Mr. B shows up, and Mr. B, the Arizona farmer, has a New Yorker accent. Mm. So he has a very thick, hey, how's it going? Good to see you guys again when he comes up. I'm farming here. <laughs> the other thing is that he has business overalls. So he has overalls, but they look like they're made out of a suit material. And then the straps that come up look more like suspenders with metal clasps. It is just a feat of character development and design that the Scooby-Doo animation team has conjured up here. I am loving it. <laughs> 
So Velma asks why all of the little puppies have these numbered coins on their collars. And Mr. B says, uh, that's so that our farmhands can tell them apart. And Fred goes, farmhands? I don't see any farmhands. And then, speak of the farmhand, a moody-looking farmhand named Jonas Sulk shows up. <laughs> he is the only farmhand that has stuck around since this zombie scarecrow farmer has attacked. And he very much looks like his last name was determined after character creation because he's got <laughs> a moody side part of the hair. He's really grumpy and he doesn't look happy to see the gang. So he's very much living up to his sulk surname. So the gang crashes there for the night and the next day they have decided that they're going to try to help around the farm. And their first task is to try to get some eggs from chickens and they are just struggling to do so. So Jonas drives up on a quad like an ATV and he says that he's going to help them out using one of his inventions. And what is his invention? It's a robot chicken massager that comes equipped with chicken-sized headphones for the chickens to kind of calm the eggs out of the chickens? I'm not well-versed in farm animals, but this does not seem like that's how chickens work. But apparently in the Scooby-Doo world, it does. You know, uh, growing up in rural Texas, I raised a couple batches of chickens and, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so Jonas then is showing them some of his other inventions, which include his souped-up go plow, which I guess is like go cart, but plow. It's very similar to the tractor in that it's got giant exhaust pipes and stuff. And then he notes that he also had a go tractor, but it was stolen. Uh. So Shaggy and Scooby are playing with the puppies, but the zombie farmer comes in and Shaggy and Scooby run away but they realize they've left behind the puppies. They go back immediately being scared that something has happened to them, but the puppies were hiding underneath a barrel of hay. So they're fine. Thank God. But then a new character enters, Frida Floor. She is a representative from the local animal safety group. She is wearing a beanie and a long sleeve t-shirt that just has a no sign on it, like the circle with the diagonal line through it. There's nothing on the shirt. It's just a general, I'm a grumpy person. Here's my shirt to appropriately let you know. But she says that she got a tip that there were puppies in danger and she wants to take them away from Mr. B. And Mr. B says, quote, what are you saying? My farm isn't safe. <laughs> so Velma lets Frida know that she has no legal right to take the puppies. So Frida leaves, but vows to come back with a court document to take away these puppies to safety. Mm. Wait, did she say why they're not safe or just like... I'd assume the giant scarecrow. The reports of the zombie farmer attacks were rumored around town and she heard about it. She got a tip. So she's here to bring the puppies to safety. She's like, these puppies aren't safe, even though like the farmer and the farm hand would also, by extension, not be safe. Yeah, she only cares about the puppies. I mean, have you seen a puppy? It's pretty cute. Yeah, dogs are people too, so. And there's like six of them. That's fair. So Mr. B, after she leaves, thinks that she's after the farm. And the gang asks why. And he says, since the farm was bought in the puppy's name with the money that the puppies won from the dog show, whoever is the owner of the puppies is the owner of the farm. Again, mm. I am not a lawyer, so I have no idea how this could work. Someone messed up. <laughs> Someone sold a farm to seven dogs. They're never giving away these puppies, right? Because, like, if the puppies own the deed to the land, then do the puppies have a will? Like a joint will? <laughs> is it signed in paw print? I was just going to say it. <laughs> so Mr. B tells the gang that he has surveillance cameras set up. Thankfully, Jonas set these up part of his tech 
wizardry. So they set up a projector on the barn to basically have a home movie viewing session, but they're going to be watching security surveillance footage, and they're going to see if there's anything suspicious. So while they're getting everything set up, Shaggy and Scooby ask Mr. B if he has any popcorn for while they're watching this movie, and Mr. B gets irrationally angry when he asked for it. He goes, oh, no, we don't have any popcorn. We ran out of popcorn. And they go, oh, none at all. And then he goes, what part of no popcorn don't you understand? (laughs) (laughs) He's my favorite character in the world. It's hard to believe, too, considering how much corn there is in Arizona. (laughs) Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because Velba, while there are visible cornfields behind them, she says... (laughs) They don't have popcorn? There's cornfields here. (laughs) So they start to watch the footage, and they see footage of the dogs playing around and the farm, and then you see the tractor driving towards the perspective of the camera, and it's getting closer and closer. So Daphne goes, oh, sweet, we're going to be able to see who is driving. And they do this great trick in the cartoon where I actually jumped in my seat and went, oh, yeah, where when the tractor gets really close to the camera, the actual physical demon tractor comes out of the barn, breaking the barn wall. So it's breaking the fourth wall, but also the literal barn wall. (laughs) And then it launches into this chase scene and the gang runs away. They end up being safe. But one of the giant exhaust tailpipes fell off of the big tractor of death. And they think that it looks like the other one that Jonas had on his go plow. So they're suspicious of Jonas, but Mr. B vouches for Jonas, says that he would never do anything to harm the dogs. Does that mean that the tractor got a running start through the other side of the barn or was it like the back (laughs) side of the barn? It was either that or it was driving so fast that it just made the entire barn explode instantly (laughs) once it broke through. But yeah, it either has stealth mode or can teleport through a wall or was going a million miles an hour. Who's to say? Or there's a scarecrow bat cave under the barn. That would do it. Ah, the scarecrow, but now he's the good guy. Well. Or still the bad guy, but he has good guy features. He's got a cave. That's about (laughs) as much as we can say. (laughs) (laughs) We know that for certain. Did you see where the guy goes, where the uh, zombie scarecrow goes? No, so this is a problem that I didn't realize until this prep of this particular Scooby-Doo episode of Meddling Adults is that chase scenes just kind of end in once the gang is safe, They just make sure everyone's okay. And then they never question where the (laughs) villain went. It's just the villain is gone. Oh, okay. (laughs) And that's just kind of it. Into the ether. (laughs) Villain permanence is not really a real thing here. (laughs) Yeah, it's just he'll be back later, I'm sure. So in a fourth wall break, what's great, Fred does this a lot in these episodes. He just looks at his watch and goes, oh, geez, time to split up already. And then they split up looking for clues. So Fred, Daphne, and Velma run into Farmer P in the cornfield. And Farmer P says, oh, are you lost? I could offer you some directions to get out of the cornfield. Or, and he's holding a glass of milk. He says, you could also have a glass of warm milk to calm your nerves. And Fred says, no. We're pretty calm. It's all good. But Farmer P says you shouldn't be calm because, and then he takes his flashlight and puts it under his face again to make creepy, ominous lighting and says, 50 years ago, Farmer Terwilger, who we will now call Farmer T, (laughs) built this farm on an ancient burial site and it angered the spirits who took over his tractor and ran him over to make him one of their own. He is now back as the demon farmer seeking revenge. So uh, that's the origin story of the demon farmer who has such a great name, the demon farmer. (laughs) (laughs) But could we back up real quick? Was it a full glass of milk or had he also taken a few swigs of this? It's 
pretty much full. There's a little bit left in the top, so there is the chance that he took a little bit of sipping. But otherwise, he just has a loose, warm glass of milk that he walks around with. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So Shaggy and Scooby then head to what they believe is a grain silo, but when they open it, it turns out that it's filled with rainbow-colored popcorn and not just rainbow colored popcorn this popcorn is very specifically flavored now i don't know if this is just shaggy and scooby wilden or if this is actually what the popcorn is flavored like but shaggy says that the flavors include chocolate pizza taco fudge and marshmallow and (laughs) onion ring which all sound terrible but these all sound like something that a high person would eat. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. So Jonas then comes up and says, hey, what are you doing snooping around in my silo? He says that the silo is his and the popcorn is his. So they scoop some popcorn into bags that they have on them and then they just run away. They show the gang, hey, look at this wild popcorn we have. And Mr. B sees it and he immediately takes the popcorn away from them saying that they can't have it. So Velma is very suspicious because he wouldn't give them popcorn before saying that they didn't have any. And now that they found popcorn, they can't have it. So Velma thinks something is afoot. Okay, and at any point did the farmer, Farmer B say, please help us, and then the gang said yes, or have they just gone vigilante <laughs> CSI? Mr. B does want some help to try to figure out the situation, so he is not angry at them for doing so. God, I feel better about the theft then, because if it would have just been like vigilante, it's like, that's just stealing, <laughs> and you have no right to that Velma. Like, come on. <laughs> So Fred wants to set a trap, but before they can even do that, Frida comes back and she has a court order this time. So the gang lies and says that the puppies are in the silo. Velma does this great thing where she gives away false information, but she acts like she's not doing so, where she says, oh, the puppies, no, they're in the silo. Oh, did I say that out loud? (laughs) So then she goes off to the silo. The puppies are in the barn. Scooby and the puppies dive into a hole in the barn, but when they go in that hole, they go underground and they run into the demon farmer. Oh, the Batcave was real. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was real. (laughs) So the gang hears yelling coming from a well that's in the farm. So they want to go let out the gang from there. But Mr. B says no. He suspiciously doesn't want to let them to. He stammers when the gang asks him why. And he says, oh, you know, the whole graveyard below the farm. And the gang points out, oh, right, the thing that Farmer P was talking about. And Mr. B goes, Farmer P, who's that? So another wrinkle in Farmer P's creepiness. So Shaggy insists that they go down to save Scooby-Doo, a rare moment of bravery from Shaggy. And when they go inside, it's not a burial ground. It's just caverns as if they were intentionally dug. So, Stephen, the Scarecrow Batcave is looking pretty plausible right about now. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the puppies then run down a corridor and the gang follows them. And around the corridor, they see a secret lab. The way that they got into the secret lab is there was a passcode on the outside and the puppies stood in a particular order. So all of those numbered coins on their collars were in a row. And then they typed that in and then they got in. But the secret lab... It looks like if anyone's been to Disney in Florida, the living off the land ride where they're doing experimental growing of different crops and stuff, most underrated ride in all of Epcot. Mm. But they've got these rainbow corn cobs growing in the secret lab. And then there's also a bunch of inventions and that tailpipe that they found from earlier. So... This seems very interesting, very much Jonas's lab. But they also, in addition to the corn, there is a plastic container of regular popcorn, and it is made by Neville Poppenbacher. Ah. (laughs) Love a fun play there. 
So the gang goes back up. They tell Mr. B what they found, and he admits, okay, I admit it. It was a secret lab that I built for Jonas so that he could work on making the world's best popcorn. Mm. But then the demon farmer comes back on the tractor, and Fred goes, I've had enough of this guy. And he gets in the mystery machine, and then they have a chase scene slash chicken fight slash the mystery machine just does one of those cop car moves where it knocks away one of those high-speed chase (laughs) things, and it hits it, like clips it from behind to make the tractor fall over. What? Uh, It's pretty fantastic. So then the demon farmer is just laying on the ground, and they demask it, and they reveal who is behind the mask. So I turn to the two of you. Who is it? Hmm. Ooh. Okay. So here's my theory. If it was Farmer P, that'd be too easy. So like Farmer P is probably like an investigator of some kind, Uh, maybe a federal agent. And then I think Jonas, Nick Jonas, which every time you say Jonas in my brain, I'm just Nick Jonas because that's the only one. Levels, levels, levels. Nick Jonas is trying to scare everyone off to get Nick Jonas's stuff. Like they want it all. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Much like Sharpay Evans in High School Musical 3, they want it all. I'm kind of throwing out Frida Floor in this scenario, right? Don't worry, I didn't. You can. She could just be a red herring. Yeah, could be. Uh, okay. Here's what I think. I don't suspect Mr. B. I think he is just trying to be a business guy, and he's using Jonas for that. Mr. P is really creepy, and he's walking around with this warm glass of milk in the middle of a field. What I'm going to go for is because Scooby-Doo likes to cheat and say there's two people involved. I think Farmer P knows the value of this land or is coveting this land. And he's hired Frida, who I don't think actually cares about puppies at all, to try and legally swipe these puppies from the land and inherit the land. That's how, like, Frida can be around and they can find the ghost and things happen weird and stuff like that. That's that's my thought. Okay, well, I'm happy to reveal that both of you are wrong. Stephen was kind of close. So it was Farmer P. As obvious and as creepy as he was, sometimes it's the (laughs) obvious answer. So it was Farmer P. But the big plot twist reveal is that when they take off the mask and he's not wearing his farmer hat anymore, they realize he kind of looks familiar and... Velma takes a big Sharpie marker and draws glasses and a mustache on him, and they reveal that Farmer P is actually Neville Poppenbacher. What? So what he was doing was he was trying to steal the rainbow popcorn from Jonas's lab so that he could have the better popcorn because he knew that Jonas's popcorn would put Neville Poppenbacher out of business. Just... Real quick, Neville Poppenbacher, apart from being mentioned on a label on corn, had not been introduced up until this point. Am I right? No, I mean, that's not necessarily the biggest reveal of it, but it is Farmer P. The suspicions of Mr. B saying, I've never heard of Farmer P is a, is a uh, big red flag yeah. at first. But Got yeah, it. he was trying to scare everyone away so that he could take over the lab and then take over the popcorn and then make a fortune out of rainbow-colored, wild-flavored popcorn. Now, I've given Sal one bonus point for saying that the F FBI was involved. I think that's a very fun twist, which I wouldn't have expected, but could happen in Scooby-Doo. And I've given Steven two points because you were pretty close with getting that Farmer P was involved, but not necessarily fully there and that you really thought Frida was a major player, but she was just a red herring. (laughs) So at the end of the first mystery, Steven has a three to one lead as we get into our second mystery, Uncle Scooby and Antarctica. Huh? Huh? Antarctica? 
Uncle Scooby? <laughs> this just makes me think Scrappy's gonna be in the adventure. I was very afraid that that would happen. Thank God he does not show up. <laughs> so the first scene we see, of course, is a monster putting people in peril. This time it's a giant fish monster that crashes a research team in Antarctica and it grabs a doctor and someone screams, oh no, look, it's got Dr. Zola. And then we just cut to the gang at the zoo, having a fun time. And they're at the zoo because Shaggy and Scooby have been volunteering at the local zoo. Aw, great. So Shaggy shows up to the rest of the gang riding an elephant, which is bad. Correct. No one should ever ride elephants. It's bad for their backs. If you're on any sort of tourist thing and they offer elephant rides, it is bad. It is a bad place. Do not do it. But Shaggy has this fun rapport with the elephant. They will eat peanuts together. And then Shaggy will tell jokes, elephant-specific jokes, to the elephant, which the elephant laughs at. So for a bonus point, if you guys can solve this very bad Laffy Taffy style shaggy elephant joke. Can I guess the answer first? <laughs> I, I mean, before before I even say the question? Yeah, is it peanuts? It is not peanuts. Okay. The, the question, how do you make an elephant float? Dumbo. Mm. <laughs> how do you make an elephant float? Uh, Any guess, Sal? You pour root beer into a glass of elephant. You're, I'm giving you the point that was close <laughs> enough. The answer was just add ice cream. Get it? Elephant float? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> but yeah, Sal, I've given you the you were in the right ballpark wildly enough bonus point. So now two to three in favor of Steven. Yes. Comedic genius. That's that decade of improv oh, yeah. you've been doing, Sal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so Fred then gets hit in the face with a fish that was thrown by Pete the Penguin. Whoa. Pete the Penguin is closely followed by Zelid the Zookeeper. He says that Pete is going to be sent back to be with his family in Antarctica now that he's old enough and he needs to be in his natural habitat. And Shaggy and Scooby are very sad because they've grown very fond of Pete. So what Zelid decides to do, since Shaggy and Scooby have been such great volunteers, he lets them go on the flight to Antarctica to bring Pete back. And oh yeah, the rest of the gang can come too. <laughs> wow, this zoo has deep pockets because I'm going to guess a trip to Antarctica is not cheap. <laughs> so when they're on the plane, they are greeted by Captain Corvina Cloyd. This is apparently the all alliteration episode of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> but Corvina Cloyd, while the plane is on autopilot, walks back to where the gang is all seated. And she says that she's really excited about this trip. She says, and this clearly did not age very well, she says that she's an ISIST. <laughs> Let me very harshly pronounce the T at the end of that. She's an ISIST, meaning that she studies ice caps and glaciers and Antarctica and all of that. She's very concerned about ice cap melting, global warming, that kind of stuff. But it does sound, first off, like she's a member of ISIS or she only likes specific type of ice. Like she only likes cubed ice, not crushed ice. How dare you, etc. <laughs> oh, uh, send the shaved ice back. <laughs> I only like the weird cylindrical soft ice from Sonic. That's the only ice that I believe in. <laughs> Has anyone told her that water's ice too? Shh, shh, shh. Thankfully, her concerns are valid in that she doesn't want the ice caps to melt, which is a big mood here in 2020. So they arrive at the Antarctican camp and the pilot says in what is just getting ridiculous at this point, she says that this research laboratory is built on prime ice estate, like real estate, but... (laughs) 
then she also says that the nearest neighbor hasn't been seen in an ice age. So she also <laughs> loves ice-related puns. But they go inside the lab, and there are no people inside, and there's also no equipment. And Captain Cloyd is very confused because she says that everything was up and running last week, and there was a whole team of researchers here. So she's very concerned. So inside the lab, there's only one person there. It is a man under a blanket, just shivering in shock. And they go up to him and he's very scared, but he reveals that his name is Monroe Harper. So far, the only not alliteration person in the episode. He says that he is the assistant to Dr. Zola. And he recaps the giant fish monster attack, says that he's very worried because Dr. Zola is a wonderful, wonderful person who apparently has all of the answers to global warming and the ice caps melting. As one does. <laughs> just naturally. I mean, I guess the answers could just be stop fucking up America <laughs> slash the world. So a generator then turns on and the gang goes to the generator room to figure out who could have turned it on. And when they go in, they see someone in a diving suit. It looks like a high tech version of a 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea getup. And the diver takes off their big old helmet and it's revealed to be Dr. Linda Rausch from the Army Corps of Engineers. She says that she's wearing the suit not because she's going diving, but just to keep her warm with the generator off. The research lab was very cold. Mm. Now, she keeps talking about how she is upset that her current Army posting is in Antarctica. She keeps going on and on about how she wants to get transferred to a department in Hawaii. So that's where she's at. Fair. <laughs> Did they say what the Army is doing in Antarctica? You know, just... Ice research. Got it. Uh, look, I was an engineer for four years. This is just standard protocol kind of stuff. You just wouldn't. You just wouldn't get it. You know, you're just one of those software engineers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not real ones. <laughs> so the gang goes to try to return Pete to his colony of penguins. And the map says that it's near a cluster of buildings. This makes Captain Cloyd very upset. She says that this is a gross misuse of ice to make so many buildings. Wait, are the buildings made out of ice in this world? No, there are more buildings. They say that it's a way station, but they don't really go into detail about what exactly it is. But my general understanding is that it's another set of buildings separate from the research laboratory. Got it. Owned and operated by someone else. Sure. So they go to drop off Pete, and while they're doing so, they get attacked by the fish monster, and the penguin helps them escape from the fish monster. But while they're walking along the ice, they see Dr. Zola frozen solid in the ice. Shit. What? Monroe is just distraught when they tell him what happened. Dr. Roche, the Army Corps lady, she comes up, and they hook up this ice block of a man to her snowmobile, and she drives him back to base. And when they get back to base, Dr. Roush is still under her wise stuff. She goes, oh, I could go make him thaw in my tanning booth. But Monroe says that we can't thaw him with unnatural means. If it's too rapid, it will harm his body. And Shaggy brings up the very good point. Is him being frozen in ice any better for him? <laughs> All right, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure Dr. Zola's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give Steven a bonus point for Dr. Reality Check moment oh, here. What? <laughs> okay. I hope there's a software thing later in this episode. <laughs> so Captain Cloyd, the pilot, then lets them know that they can't fly out for the next two days because of this bad hailstorm. And of course, then the power goes out. So the gang goes to investigate and they see the fish monster in the distance. The fish monster then comes and attacks them. Scooby falls into the water and starts plunging down. 
Pete, the penguin, saves Scooby, Aww. but then the fish monster grabs Pete, so Scooby dives back in and saves Pete. It's this whole back and forth, but Scooby and Pete get back safely with the rest of the gang, and Scooby, in his effort to save Pete, ripped off an air hose from the fish monster's costume, Whoa. so we know it's not an actual fish monster. I want to talk about the fish monster. It's chased them on land and underwater. It's like a big teal webbed foot. Think creature from the Black Lagoon, but more athletic. Okay. Like it's got leg and butt muscles. It's like a reverse mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> but the, it's all still teal the whole way down and it's got the webbed feet. It would be like a creepier version of Harry Potter in the uh, second task in Goblet of Fire. Oh, mm. okay. So, you know, kind of a scary fish person kind of vibe. More more a person than fish. But like, I imagine running with flippers is really hard though, right? Yeah, but he's practiced. <laughs> <laughs> so they go back to the base. Captain Cloyd is talking with the gang. She apparently makes this flight in and out often. She says that Dr. Zola last time warned that everyone should have gotten on her flight back because if they didn't, they would face horrendous consequences. Mm. So some ominous words from Dr. Zola. So the gang does the classic set a trap. There's a chase scene and they are able to trap the big fish monster, pull off the mask and make the reveal. So I turn to the two of you. Who is it? All right. Just because this is what's new Scooby-Doo and a show for children. And I think if someone was frozen in a block of ice, they'd be dead. I think the monster is Dr. Zola. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, okay. Uh, yeah. Was that also your guess, Sal? I think it's a, a one-two combo. I don't think it's just Dr. Zola because someone had to fake the uh, Dr. Zola being kidnapped. And I'm going to place it on Army Corps of Engineer person who wants to get out of there because they want this whole thing shut down so they can go to Hawaii. Ah. And Dr. Zola, they want everyone out because their presence there is bad. All righty, all righty. So... I have given you each two points because you were close but no cigar. So Dr. Zola is somewhat behind it. Oh. But there is another person involved. It's not Dr. Rouch. What it is, is Monroe, the assistant. Oh. So what Dr. Zola wanted to do was be cryogenically frozen for 100 years so that in the future, he could tell people of the future his ideas about how to save the world environmentally because he thought that 100 years from now they'd be in a bad situation so he could share his knowledge with them. Now, this makes no sense at all, none whatsoever, <laughs> but Dr. Zola had Monroe enact his plan. What is very funny is he comes back to life. He fully thaws and he's okay, and he's very upset to learn that it's only been three days and not a hundred years. <laughs> and when the gang makes this reveal, instead of the classic, and I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids, he asks the gang, you would meddle in the future of mankind? And Velma goes, if the shoe fits. Oh. Uh, the only other thing I'll say is that they do end up finding the group of penguins, and Pete gets back with his family. That's all Aww. good. And then they all fly back on Captain Cloyd's plane, and there's no negative repercussions for Monroe or Dr. Zola doing this giant evil fish situation. They all just kind of laugh it off, and Dr. Rouch is extremely happy because she successfully got transferred to the Maui department, and that's the end of that mystery. What? 
Okay, first <laughs> off, I called cryogenic ice. I nailed it. Yeah, let me, I'll give you another bonus point for cryogenic yes. ice well, in there. I nailed the scarecrow cake. <laughs> that was such a left field thing. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you bonus points for it in the first one, so we're okay. So now we get into our final mystery. It is the one that I've hyped up at the beginning. It features Simple Plan, the Canadian punk band. It's called Simple Plan and the Invisible Madman. Yes. Ooh. We go into this mystery. Stephen has a six to four lead, so it's a tight one. <laughs> so Simple Plan is driving their tour bus through the snowy winter roads of Montreal. And while they're doing this, an invisible man wreaks havoc on the bus. It grabs the driver by the shirt and throws him away, starts beating up all the people in the bus, and it forces the bus to crash through a guardrail through a danger high voltage sign, and then it flies off of a ravine, and then we cut to the gang, driving in the mystery machine, heading up to the Montreal Rock Festival to see Simple Plan. Whoa! Bad news, folks. <laughs> what? Thankfully, it's not very long before they come across the crash tour bus just in a snowbank. So they go to check it out. They rescue Simple Plan from the crashed bus, and Daphne very astutely points out, wow, it's Simple Plan. <laughs> so while Simple Plan is telling them everything that just transpired, you see only Scooby sees it. He can't get anyone to look. But an invisible man comes up and cuts a cable from the mystery machine, but no one else notices. So they convince all of Simple Plan to get into the mystery machine. So we've got a bunch of people in the mystery and machine. And no brake line, presumably. <laughs> yep, you got it. So they all get in. It's the full band. Simple Plan is a five-member band. And then also they have a fictional roadie, Zeke, who is in charge of their tour. So they all get in the van. Zeke is very upset by the whole situation. He feels really bad that the band has been in danger. He takes his job very seriously. So he is just absolutely distraught that he has put Simple Plan, cherished band, in harm's way. And so, Sal, as you pointed out, turns out that cable was the brake line, the mystery machine, the brakes aren't working, and they have to intentionally crash it into a snowbank on the side. And thankfully, everyone's okay. Fred says, good thing we were wearing our seatbelts. <laughs> and this is just confusing because there were 10 people and a dog in the mystery machine. <laughs> what seatbelt situation do you have going on in this van? <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Fred also goes on to say, oh, but my homemade airbags didn't, and then they all deploy, which comically knocks all of the band equipment out of the van. So there were 10 people, a dog, and a full band's worth of equipment in the back of the mystery machine, but everyone's okay. And also these airbags didn't deploy on a harsh impact. No, they did not. I'm never getting into the mystery machine. It's a death trap. <laughs> Nor should you. But I mean, it has zero fatalities, so I don't know. <laughs> That's true, and it's been attacked by many things. So they decide to head into the nearby town, which is Huntersville. They go to the Huntersville Inn, and they are greeted by Jack Hunter, who owns and runs the inn, but he also reveals that he owns the whole town. Wow. Mm -hmm. He says he has big plans for the town. He wants to build four-star hotels and drive-in movie theaters and a water park that during the winter months of Montreal, which is all of them, I assume, could be used for snow sledding. Mm. So Shaggy and Scooby see a nearby diner. So they head over to the town diner for food. And Jack Hunter also has to run the diner because this town has an unemployment problem. So he has to wear a lot of hats. <laughs> Is he like kind of a whimsical character that pretends that it's a different person every time or is it definitely him? <laughs> no, he, he reveals that it's him every time. He, do, he doesn't act like he's a different okay. person each iteration, each job. No, I'm Jacques Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to see if it was one of those. 
So the rest of the gang stays back because Simple Plan has to practice for their gig tomorrow. So the rest of the band smartly stays behind as Simple Plan performs a song. Now, while Shaggy and Scooby are at the diner, the Invisible Man attacks them. And there's a whole chase scene and stuff. But when the gang and Simple Plan and Shaggy and Scooby all meet up, they realize Jeff from the band is gone. Uh. Not Jeff. So they decide to split up and try to figure out what's going on. Velma, Fred, Daphne, and some of the band members go off and they find a lab of course, in the town, and they come across Gibby. Now, Gibby is a recurring character in What's New Scooby-Doo. He's this nerdy boy that has the hots for Velma. Velma does not think he is cute or smart or charming or interesting, so she just has no patience for this guy. Daphne says, uh, you should charm this guy a little bit, though, to try to figure out what's going on. So Velma charms him by saying, could your really big brain share a bit of information with us? <laughs> Which works because Gibby reveals that he and Mr. Hunter are working on a secret project for the military. Whoa. But he won't say what. And he then replies, but can you give me some information now, Velma? Like your phone number? And she goes, ugh, gross. I mean, to Mr. Hunter's credit, I I feel like defense contracts are where the money is at. So if he needs to fund that puppy. Yes, indeed. So Shaggy, Scooby, and the other members of the band, they hear a clanging noise. So they go to figure out what's going on there. They hear clanging coming from a safe, but before they can try to get into the safe, they are then attacked by the Invisible Man and Dave doesn't make it out. He gets taken away by the Invisible Man. Is he a member of the band? He is a member of the band, yes. Okay, and Jeff is. I will let you know, names are not important. The fact that they are in the band, though, is because we will see that every time someone gets taken away, it's specifically someone from Simple Plan. It makes me think that, like, it's the order of the people that didn't want to do the episode in real life. Like, the first one to drop out is (laughs) Jeff. (laughs) Jeff. (laughs) Then it's Dave. So Simple Plan, who did the theme song, they are all enormous Scooby-Doo fans, Uh... and they were very passionate about being the theme song as well as being on the show. I watched a little interview with them and they were all super stoked. They're all also incredibly Canadian. (laughs) All of their names are French Canadian sounding. The lead singer's name is Pierre. They're just peak Canada. It's great. Oh, Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nice. All right, bonus point for Uh Sal. (laughs) (laughs) So when the band and the gang all reconvene in one group, one of the members of the band asks Fred, Velma, and Daphne, does this happen to you guys often? (laughs) And they all answer at the same time, and it's so funny. Fred goes, "Uh uh-uh. And Daphne goes, eh, once in a while. And Velma goes, too often. (laughs) (laughs) So they see a nearby house has the lights on, so they go to check it out and see if anyone's inside. They don't see anyone at first, but they see music instruments shoved into a closet. But before they can figure out anything further, the owner of the house arrives, and it's Yves de la Frère, yes. a Montreal fashion designer that Daphne is very excited to see. Yes. So Daphne reveals that Yves de la Frère invented the zipless parka, the really, really mini skirt, and the mock turtle scoop neck, which just some great fashion jokes here. So Eve reveals that she has a new style and she's excited that Daphne knows her other fashion and hopes Daphne likes this new style. It's a plaid dress like a lumberjack shirt turned into a dress, and everyone thinks that this is just gaudy. So they awkwardly try to leave. The gang, while they're walking across town, they see Mr. Hunter, the same dude, he's repairing the mystery machine in the town mechanic shop. That's nice of him. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just another hat for him to wear. Yeah. So when they're in the middle of the town square, Gibby comes up to Velma and he says, hey, Velma, I have a video of the invisible madman. Do you want to come back to my place to watch it? (laughs) Velma first 
raises the point, how do you have a video of someone invisible? But before they can go into this further, the invisible man then drives a snowplow at the gang. Yikes. So the gang and the rest of the Simple Plan band members run away from the snowplow. It chases them off of a cliff. They have to jump off a cliff, but they land in a big pile of snow and just no one's hurt. So I guess it's just the softest snow ever. But unfortunately, two of the band members, they, before jumping off the ravine, I guess the Invisible Man jumped out and grabbed them. You see them being grabbed by their collars and taken away. Mm. The only band member left at this point is Pierre, the lead singer. Hey. Which I guess fits. Daphne makes a great joke of, oh, have you ever considered a solo career? (laughs) (laughs) Dark. (laughs) I know. So Velma points out that, so far, only members of Simple Plan have been taken, and the only suspect person that they've met that hasn't been present during an attack was Eve, because Zeke was there during the bus attack, and Jack was there at the diner attack, and Gibby was there just now at the snowplow attack. So they go back to Eve's house. I guess they just scale the ravine that they just fell down. (laughs) And they go to Eve's place, and they ask her, where were you just now? What's your alibi? While they're in her house, though, they see a little bit of fabric on the ground, and when Shaggy holds it up to his face, he can see himself, so it's a reflective fabric. I already have a theory for everything. Ooh, ooh. But before they can press her further about it, the Invisible Man starts attacking them. This makes Velma even more confused because she was convinced that it was supposed to be Eve. So the Invisible Man grabs Pierre and runs off with him. So Fred and Scooby try going one way to find the Invisible Man. They actually very smartly use Scooby's smelling ability, which they rarely remember that he's a dog. <laughs> so <laughs> they they use this to their advantage. But unfortunately, they then get attacked by the Invisible Man. The rest of the gang comes and saves them. But then they start to hear that same banging. So they go back to that same safe that they heard before. Daphne breaks into the safe with her titanium credit card. And they see that inside the safe is Simple Plan. They're all there. Fred, in a boneheaded moment, says, oh, great. Did you guys get a good look at the invisible madman? (laughs) And the bassist goes, "Uh, well, no, because he was. And Fred goes, oh, right. Invisible. (laughs) So Daphne then points out, well, now everyone has an alibi, so I'm stumped. But Velma says she knows what's up. So Fred says that he's going to set up a trap. He says, don't worry, guys, I've got a simple plan. And then they roll credits. (laughs) (laughs) He puts on his sunglasses. (laughs) So Fred's plan, which is pretty smart, is, hey, they keep wanting to steal the members of Simple Plan. So why don't you guys just start playing music here in the middle of the town and then we'll get the Invisible Man. This is genuinely one of the funniest things, and I'll put an audio clip in the episode. They get all their stuff set up, and they play the first two and a half seconds of my favorite Simple Plan song, I'd Do Anything. So they just go, and before you can even get to the final resounding note, the Invisible Man immediately comes and grabs two of them. It's so funny. (laughs) It is genuinely (laughs) hilarious. Let's do it. One, two, three, four. So a classic chase scene ensues, but they lead the Invisible Man into that high-voltage place from where the bus crashed initially, and the Invisible Man gets shocked by giant high-voltage towers? Yikes. Oh, man. The Invisible Man is okay, but of course the Invisible Man falls in a way where the mask goes flying off, and then it is revealed who is behind it. So I turn to the two of you. 
Who is the invisible man who's behind this whole invisible plan? I think I got it a while ago. All right, what you got? It's the fashion person, at least. Now, let me talk this through. But it's definitely the fashion person. The army base is working on cloaking technology. Eve is involved in that, or at least somehow got it. And then I'm going to go a little further on this one. Maybe the roadie is involved to cover, like, why they have multiple people. Ooh, okay. The reason the fashion designer, they're, like, jealous of the musical. Like, they wanted to be a musician, or they had some plan. They had a simple plan to become a a famous musician at one point. Okay, all right. Steven, what about you? I wrote early on that clanging from safe was props instruments, so I've been thinking Eve from the beginning. It was weird that it was, like, she got attacked at the same time as everybody else. But like you said, that means everyone's been attacked. So I think maybe it's just everybody but Zeke. Oh, okay. So you think it is... The town wants... They just want Simple Plan to become Huntersville's like main attraction. Uh, So they keep just stealing them for themselves. Ah. So you believe that it is Jack and Gibby and Eve all working in tandem? Yes. Okay. Now this is very interesting because... Sal was correct in the motive. It was that they wanted to be a band and take over. But you were both correct in that there's multiple people involved. The truest correct answer is that everyone is in on it. Every single person. So Jack had the contract to make this stuff for the military. Gibby had the tech to make it happen. Eve had the fabric expertise. And Zeke brought in the band because these four have a band together They have their own, and they wanted Simple Plan gone so that they could play at the Montreal Rock Festival instead. Ah. Now, this is even more interesting because I gave you each a point per correct guess of culprit, and I gave Sal two points for getting the exact motive right. This ties the game at nine to nine, meaning we get into a sudden death riddle tiebreaker. So here's how it works. I'm going to say a riddle. You just buzz in. Whoever gets it right first gets the point and wins this episode of Meddling Adults. So here's the riddle. What goes up but never comes down? Age. Oh, Buzz. There you are, Steve Apara. Correct age. Uh, you got it. I was going to say Tesla's stock price. <laughs> oh, well, mm-mm, nope. That would also be incorrect. So with a final score of 10 to 9, Stephen Para has reigned victorious in this episode of Meddling Adults. You've won some money for RIP medical debt. Stephen, how does it feel to win this barn burner? Oh, it feels so great to, you know, actually contribute some money back to healthcare things going on. But it also feels really great to, you know, um, step up in the big leagues against some big improvers and uh, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) reign victorious. (laughs) Oh, man. Sal, you also fought very valiantly. It was very tight. Came down to sudden death. You should not be ashamed of your performance. I'm very proud of both of you. Oh, thank you. This was a wonderful time. Now, I know you two aren't necessarily podcasters, but is there anything you'd like to plug in this section of the podcast where I usually ask people to plug their podcast? Yeah, actually. So I don't know if this makes the cut or not, but Mike did mention, you know, I'm studying medicine and something that would be really helpful for me and everyone here is please wear a mask. Please wash your hands. Please take what's going on very seriously. Good plug. You'll help yourselves and you'll help a lot of other people if you just adhere to these social distancing rules and try to take care of yourself. Hey, everyone. It's me, producer Mike from the future, letting you know that Sal's audio bugged out a little bit here. He was trying to plug his 
improv shows that he does with Endgame's Improv, an improv theater in San Francisco that he and I both used to perform at, and Sal still performs there. They do live streamed shows on Twitch, and you can watch those at twitch.tv slash endgamesimprov. Wonderful. Well, thank you to both for joining. This was a hoot and a half, and I'm so glad I was able to make this happen. Yeah, hey. <laughs> and I gotta say, you two really held your own. You were very solid at the guesses, and you're just clearly, must be that Rice University education that we all got, <laughs> must be uh, what's making us all some very competent meddling adults. Thanks for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Ma'ayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel. And the website is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to support the show and help us raise more money for charity, you can do so in two ways. The first of which is going to patreon.com slash meddlingadults and signing up. You will get early access to episodes, bonus content, and we'll put your name on the website as a thank you. And the second way you can support us is by making a one-time donation at paypal.me slash meddlingadults. If you want to find us on social media, you can follow us at Meddling Adults on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as reddit.com slash r slash meddlingadults. To learn more about the show and the charities we are supporting, you can go to our website, meddlingadults.com, and thanks to Multitude for having us as a part of the network. If you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, why don't you try out Head Heart Gut? It's Multitude's exclusive friendly debate show for multi-crew members. If you go to multicrew.club, you can sign up and listen to that. We have holiday debates going on right now, and they are a hoot and a half, and you can listen to those if you join at multicrew.club. This was episode nine of season two. Next week's episode will be our season finale for season two. It's been a wild ride. I hope you've all enjoyed these episodes and I hope to see you next week for our season two finale.